This episode of Crosscut Talks is supported by Alaska Airlines. Hey, welcome to Crosscut Talks. I'm Mark Bumgarten, the managing editor at Crosscut. And today we're talking about crime and how a city decides what to do with those who commit crimes. Specifically, we're talking about crime in the city of Seattle. And we're talking about it with the person who ultimately decides how a lot of crime in the city is handled, at least after the police have done their part. When Ann Davison was elected city attorney last November, it was a kind of slow-motion shock. Though races in Seattle are nonpartisan, Davison's identity as a Republican was well-known, and her platform was firmly tough on crime. Her election was a kind of backlash to the backlash. Just a year before, in the wake of the 2020 protests, Seattle leaders were bolstering the city's progressive reputation by seriously entertaining the idea of defunding the police. Back then, the thought of a Republican overseeing misdemeanor prosecutions in the city was unfathomable. But in November, Davison defeated an opponent who embodied the activist opposition to status quo law and order. And she replaced a 12-year incumbent who was proudly progressive. So, what has Davison been doing in the months since she took office? Well, that's the topic of today's conversation, which was recorded in early May as part of the Crosscut Festival. In this conversation with journalist Joni Balter, Davison has a lot to say about the office she inherited and the ways that she is attempting to transform it. And while it's still a little too early to really see the results of Davison's approach, I really appreciate how hard Joni presses here for that detail. A good bit of journalism in action. This conversation and all other conversations on the power and policy track at the 2022 Crosscut Festival is sponsored by Amazon, which would like to share the following message. Amazon strives to be Earth's most customer-centric company, Earth's best employer, and Earth's safest place to work. Learn more at aboutamazon.com. I hope you enjoy the conversation. If you have any feedback, please send it to talks at crosscut.com. Okay, on with the show. City Attorney Davison, welcome. Hello, Johnny. How are you today? Good. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. So just for fun, I would like to start by noting that Seattle, though races are officially nonpartisan, hasn't elected a Republican for something like 30 years. City Attorney Davidson, how does your Republican affiliation affect the job that you will do in the city attorney's office? I think it's important, as you said, that it is a nonpartisan seat. Uh, and when it comes to someone like me who never planned to be into politics, that's how I want to keep it. Um, it's important that we focus on people and issues. Uh, I think that it's time that we have a new type of Republican as well, that there's a Northwest version, there's an evergreen version, and that's important. But when it comes to what is happening in the city of Seattle and why I sought this seat is the impact it can have on public safety and the lives of individuals, whether they're victims or people who are caught in a cycle of crime. Uh, we can't move past uh, fear to improve other social issues until we have this handled, and it's important that we focus on that. Do you believe that voters by electing you, Mayor Bruce Harrell, and City Council Member Sarah Nelson all at the same time 
we're sending a message. And if so, what was the message? I do think that now we have a broader and more inclusive voice uh, in local government, and it's important to have that. I think when we have that, we have a more balanced uh, perspective across the way to handle these social issues that we are struggling in having uh, conversations about. Only by adding uh, a blended voice can we really get all perspectives and find the best solutions for the, the problems we're faced with as a society. And you recently announced uh, that you would decline to prosecute 2,000 misdemeanor cases in a backlog of roughly 5,000 such cases. Is this a one-time practical thing, you know, to clear the back backlog? Or have you already turned into your predecessor or your opponent? It is an absolute one-time thing. Uh, what I inherited when I started this office in January 1st of 2022 was nearly 5,000 criminal case backlog. Uh, which had been there uh, before the pandemic. Uh, and so what we have had to do is take a difficult look at that and figure out what is the way to move forward so we can focus on present day referrals for crime happening now uh, and not be uh, burdened with looking at the backlog and uh, unable to address current issues being sent over here. So it is a one-time thing that we've had to do uh, with heavy heart to do that because each one of those is a victim. Uh, and we don't want to uh, forget that. But it is a one-time thing moving forward to use resources as we have available to focus on present-day referrals for crime happening. Uh, so should Seattle really rethink um, our approach to crime or is the real problem that we're too timid or politically correct or whatever the right word is to enforce existing laws? It's a fabulous question, Joni, because it's something, again, that uh, drove me to become politically active uh, here as a mother uh, living in Seattle for 25 years. When I was faced with the, the real uh, perspective that something's not working locally, that something was not functioning. Uh, I have the privilege and the honor to now be a Seattle city attorney and to understand it from the inside and to really make a difference about that. So for me, the first part is just to make things function and the, the way that they were set up to do, which is to communicate with others in that public safety partnership. Uh, I liken it to that of a relay team with a, a baton passing off because it isn't just me and my office that can, uh, can change it, nor is it anyone other in that public safety partnership. It really has to be with coordination and, and dialogue. And when there was no dialogue occurring uh, before with the uh, county prosecutor, Dan Satterberg in his office or with the Seattle Police Department, there really was just not going to be an improvement on public safety. What do you mean there was no dialogue? They, don't they have to work together every day with different things? We do now, and uh, but that has not been uh, here before that. So we have engaged that with our high utilizer initiative that I introduced earlier this year. We now uh, have weekly meetings and discussion about uh, those difficult issues with the county prosecutor's office, uh, with the King County Jail and with Seattle Police Department. Uh, again, only by collaborating and having discussions with others involved in public safety will we improve things for the people who live, work, and visit the city of Seattle. Well, since you mentioned the high utilizers, um, what, are, what can we actually do about high utilizers? Some people would call them frequent flyers. These folks commit a lot of the crime. What is well, the best approach to these, what, I think you've identified something like 118 people who are collectively responsible for 2,400 criminal cases over five years. How are we going to get at that? 
Right. When we were able to look at that and, and understand that there really is a small uh, percentage of people that are involved in this cyclical, frequent, repeated criminal activity uh, in a concentrated amount of time and location, it is beholden upon us to act. That to me is uh, has two facets. One, we are allowing people to become victims, sometimes repeat victims. Uh, and so that is not going to be acceptable. As we've heard from the public, this is not going to be the way forward for businesses, for families, for people and transportation and parks and roads. It can't be the way forward. But second to that, it shows me that there are people that are stuck in a form of human suffering that we have just ignored and allowed to continue in their own self-destructive behavior and have not seized the opportunity to use that when it is uh, that we come in contact with them, we have to start to change the pattern for them. and and help them to have something other than that. I want to come back to this in a minute, but first I wanted to just note the, the timing of things. You've been in office now for full months. And so what is different for Seattle residents as a result of that? In other words, what do you or we have to show for that time of yours? Well, uh, I, I will say that um, I, I have been out in uh, multiple neighborhoods uh, I can't even count how many times. Uh, it is still my favorite thing to do is really to go and listen. You to do the walks with people, right? These I do go on walks out. is what I've heard. Yeah, yeah. I go to neighborhoods. Uh, every anyone who asks, I show up, and we go uh, because it really is important for us to feel a sense of connection to those we have put in a place to make decisions for us. Um, that's again, as I come from a, being a mom raising my kids. Just me simply having that conversation with my kids is one thing, and it's important to do. Uh, but the, the people we put in place to make these complicated decisions that we don't have access to, we still have to have a connection to them. They need to understand our perspective and what we're up against in our day-to-day -day lives. So we do that on a regular basis, which has not been done before. Um, and I also I'd go to roll calls for our police. I go at the middle of the night, I've set my alarm for 2.15 in the morning and gone to precincts at three o'clock in the morning to, to go and say thank you to people who are there should I need to call 911 in the middle of the night. Three o'clock is a shift change or something? Around that time, it, yeah, I go. I've gone to two of the precincts. I intend to get to all of them and, I, and we'll do that on our uh, a basis for whenever I, I say, I think tonight I can do it, right? I just miss a little sleep. Uh, we make Sounds time. like you miss much of the night, come on. <laughs> 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 well, that's right. It's uh, but it really is meaningful. And I'll tell you what's so great is I did that one time uh, at the East Precinct and had some dialogue with with officers before they went on patrol. And four hours later, I did one of my walkabouts with a, a group of women who are downtown Seattle residents. I know. I have talked to them. Together. I have. Yeah, they've been walking them. for for years. Mm -hmm. So we were on the streets of downtown on Third Avenue and they commented about the, the police units that they were seeing there and how they were so thankful and how they thought that was starting to make a difference on their walks. And I looked in the car and there was the office, one of the officers I'd had a conversation with just four hours earlier. And so it was so fantastic because it really started to make it feel like this is a small town. It's our town and we really can be uh, impactful in making a difference. Well, Weren't some of those same walks and trips to the neighborhood available to your predecessors as well? I certainly can't speak for anyone but me, but I, uh, I think it's important. I wanted that from my elected leaders, uh, so I just am focused on trying to be the type of elected leader I was looking for and didn't see available. Uh, City Attorney Davison, last month you formally requested that your office be able to prosecute repeat misdemeanor offenders rather than 
sending these folks to um, a community court where they get help for some of their specific problems. Critics say, critics of your approach say, jail just doesn't get it, some of these really tough underlying problems. And many judges that you asked of this did not agree with you. So what happens next on that exact uh, part of your plan? That plan is important, and I think that we will be able to, to have that resolved in a way that's going to be meaningful for those individuals. Uh, again, when we look at what our role is here as the misdemeanor prosecutor for the city of Seattle, it is our place to, to make sure that crime is addressed. Our laws are our values as a society. They, uh, we just That's the reflection of what we value in society is our laws, and they have to be meaningful, and they have to matter and mean something, and that's what we all need to see. Then when we come to individuals that, again, that are involved in the cyclical uh, behavior of repeat crimes, uh, the community court is set up for a place for uh, low level offenses for not frequent contact with the criminal justice system. And it is, it is geared for that. And if we use those resources for people other than that, then we are actually diluting them for those individuals where we can oh, intervene early, right? So now what we're saying is people who have had tens and tens of referrals, that's not the place for that. We need to be focused on a higher intensity about what is going on for that individual so we can disrupt that cycle of crime uh, and meaningfully intervene. So one more follow-up to the sort of same point here. Um, you folks announced that you're teaming up with the prosecutor's office in King County to follow repeat retail theft offenders. Um, many people are encouraged to see this, but isn't it kind of obvious that the two offices would work together for greater intervention like all the time? Like, like why is this special kind of thing? That's what I expected and assumed would be happening. Again, as someone who very recently was just a member of the general public as well, uh, it seemed uh, unfathomably that, that that would not be occurring. As I said, I've established that uh, from, from day one that was known to be important because otherwise we cannot improve public safety. We have to understand what is happening. Uh, it happens in multiple locations. Uh, crimes are uh, varying of degrees and severity, and so there has to be communication. And as well as understanding when, when they decline to file what should be a, a felony under statutory standards, uh, it will become to come to us. And so we need to be able to have communication with them about that. That's how we start to work together in that public safety partnership to improve safety. Uh, so um, I understand that the jail is still somewhat on COVID population limits and partly for that reason uh, cannot take too many misdemeanor referrals. Uh, but the jail recently offered to take 20 repeat offenders, if that's right. But what I couldn't tell from that, is that a one-time 20 and then we're done? Or is that a rolling average? Or is it over a period of time? Uh, and either way, why can't you negotiate more space if the situation warrants it? Well, it is a difficult uh, situation. I understand that it's a complex with COVID, well, what we do with that. But it is important that uh, we understand that jail in and of itself is not the goal. What the goal is, is we have to stop that cycle of crime. And when we are seeing people engage in repeat frequent criminal activity, we have to be able to, as a society, 
intervene, disrupt that, uh, and, and help to change that path for the person, uh, and, and recenter the victims' uh, voices, which has been lost, I think, in, in recent times. So we do have that partnership, again, working there uh, with the King County Jail. It's important to have that so that the Seattle Police, when they are going out, can book uh, for those misdemeanor crimes, which account for 80% of the crime in the city of Seattle. It's important to have that uh, so we can make that difference. But can you explain, though, what the 20 refers to a little better? Um, right now, we are. We did have to talk about what will, what can we do when someone has shown. Uh, we can show that there are so many referrals that an individual has has brought in the past five years. We've used uh, a criteria of twelve referrals in the past five years and at least one in the past eight months to create that criteria for the high utilizer initiative. Uh, and so that is to us an indicator someone is engaged in this frequent uh, cycle of criminal activity and we are losing those opportunities to intervene for that individual, the more we just allow it to occur and don't, don't address it. In addition to, we're creating uh, victims. So that's where we have worked on that partnership with the county uh, jail and with King County Prosecutor's Office to sometimes aggregate those to be a felony, uh, but, but to allow us to have the jail bookings for that. But I, I still don't know if you mean um, a one-time amount of 20 rolling average or over a period of time if you could clarify that for me i appreciate it it should be ongoing that's what we intend to do because until we understand uh so you could always hit the number of 20 it would be it'd be rolling it sounds like it's rolling it needs to be and we need to be able total. to do yeah what we when we are getting that number of referrals and we see that type level of criminal activity we have got to be able to have a a reset for the community and for the individual and that has to be available Okay, so um, Mayor Harrell has said many times that he would like to increase the number of police officers, but, and I, and I interviewed him recently, he's, he says he only wants the right kind of officer who understands things like de-escalating sensitivity to racial justice. Are you and the mayor on the same page on this, or do you differ in approach to police, police staffing? Well, I don't have any... Uh jurisdiction or any authority about that. That is the mayor's role. I know, I know. I'm just right. ask, asking for your take since you're gonna work closely with them. Well, we obviously we do want, we wanna have uh, effective police that are understanding what their role is uh, and that's important. So um, that's again though, my, my role for what we do here is after mm -hmm. we get the police referrals, uh, we then take action on that. Yeah, but do you agree with his approach? The right kind of officer? I think it's important that we have people understanding what the landscape is. Uh, and I'm not mm -hmm. sure there's a, 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 a strict definition of what the word right means either, but I think it's important to, to understand that. Well, I elaborated a little bit that he said that, you know, folks who understand de-escalating and are sensitive to racial justice issues. Those are two I examples. Think that's absolutely important for all of us. Uh, hum officers are human, humans altogether. Okay, so a quick reminder here for our audience to make sure you add your questions in the chat section. I'm gonna ask some of them here in a little bit. I just wanted to give you time to think of them, write them, put them in there. Um, and you have announced a close in time approach to prosecuting cases that come, come your way. Can you kindly explain how that might make streets safer? Yes, and I think the, the close in time filing that we did announce earlier this year is very important for the public to understand why I think that's going to be very instrumental uh, and important on multiple layers for us. 
what was happening before was cases would get referred in to us from the Seattle Police Department, and they would go to the back of the line, which is what then it grew to be that backlog we talked about earlier that was nearly 5,000 criminal cases. And in that backlog, those cases sat for an average of 334 days until this office made a response as to what to do. That was under my predecessor. Uh, and when you just think about that in a common sense type of way, when there's an action and then the response to that action did not occur till an average of 334 days later, um, there is really not a connection between those two events. And so for it to be meaningful and intervene for someone, it needs to have a close in time response to when the criminal activity occurred. So I made that decision to stop adding cases uh, to the back of the backlog. And so now that's why we had to do that difficult decision of that one time large declination of cases that had been sitting sometimes uh, almost close to two years. And, and many of them had already expired because they had sat for too long. So and now to use- I think there was something like an average on some of those cases of 334 yep. days old. So that makes it tougher to, to, get, to find your witnesses and get where you're going, right? Exactly. The longer a case sits, the, the harder it is to, to prosecute in a success, successful manner. And with the prosecutorial resources that we do have, I think it's important that we use those on present day referrals uh, and, and not just constantly looking backwards for, for a term uh, you know, a year to, to more. So now uh, that close in time filing is that when we get a police referral, we make a response to that, a charging decision uh, within five business days. Uh, and so that really is to me, the way we can start to connect the activity to the response uh, that will start to show a different message for uh, those who want to engage in criminal activity here. There will be a response. It will be timely. You won't see one 334 days later. Um, and, and that connection there is then the opportunity to intervene for that individual engaged in that activity. We want to stop that cycle for people that are engaged in that repeat uh, behavior because it's not helpful for them. It, it's destructive for them and their future, and it's causing harm to victims at the same time. So closing in that time gap is just a common sense approach uh, to, to just human behavior. So uh, I noticed uh, a few weeks ago when Joe Biden was in town, their Twitter just lit up with uh, city, state, and federal officials all talking about the federal. And I know this a little bit outside of um, city attorney business, but I just want your take on it. Uh, they were talking about the Federal Safe Banking Act, which would give folks in the marijuana industry the ability to do business by credit card. And as you know, there's just a, a ton of crime at some of these places because they know that the folks know that these are largely cash operations. Mm -hmm. uh, but I've, I've written extensively about legalized recreational pot. Uh, we knew, you know, when the state first legalized recreational pot, that uh, this banking, just call it a disconnect, would make pot shop employees sitting ducks. So what is your position on this and what are you willing or able to do about it? Well, I do acknowledge that it's, uh, it's a very difficult situation for employees. And that's really the focus that I have is those that are working in those locations because I have talked with them and, and heard as well the amount of violence that is in, involved with uh, their place of work because of the ability for people to come in and to steal. That's not an acceptable workplace for anyone. I've heard that on the retail front as well, right? the, the amount of violence that is now being associated with uh, 
shoplifting is increasing and it is putting employees uh, into a really a dire strait because I've heard of employees talking about having nightmares. Um, a, a young mom I heard from, you know, waking up at night with nightmares from from events that had occurred at her workplace, and and that's just not an acceptable workplace. So yeah, it's a it's really is a, a difficult thing and a, a treacherous thing to try to um, figure out what to do because it's we cannot allow people to be unsafe at their place of work. So you mentioned earlier that you did these walking tours. You went to many different neighborhoods. But what did you learn from those um, trips, experiences that maybe confirmed or even changed your view of things out on the streets? Hmm. Well, I think, again, it's important to be accessible to people and and for, for people to feel heard. Everyone is focused you know, it's just human nature. We're all focused on what we have tasked for ourselves for the day. And sometimes people have a lot of time and sometimes people don't. Uh, but to have access to someone that you said, we want you to make decisions uh, again, they need to have ability to, to be heard. Uh, their perspectives are important. Uh, I'm here to represent and, and um, be the city attorney for everyone that lives here. So I always want to understand uh, perspectives that I'm unfamiliar with that I don't have uh, anyone uh, or experience of myself. I, I just think it's important to hear. I, I don't know if I've changed my mind about anything in particular, but I, I've certainly added to it and understand the, the same problem that I've been focused on, um, like addiction and recovery. That's been a, a focal point for me uh, for, for years now and in, in a driving force to, to lead me here because we are seeing so much human suffering around that. And so to, just to hear it from people's perspectives, whether they are someone in recovery, uh, how long they've been in recovery, how they got there, uh, or a family member of someone who has someone that is still in addiction, that's been a, a very helpful thing for me as I kind of fill out that whole uh, area that I'm concerned about, just getting all those additional perspectives. It's been really helpful for me. So this might be um, a little politically dicey, but anyway, um, did our politicians either mistakenly or purposely send a message that Seattle is maybe a little bit like San Francisco. We're, we're uh, you know, we're a little softer on crime. I I'm asking about the impact of a proposal, something that didn't pass, but that some of the uh, national comedians seem to think did pass, I'm talking about Bill Maher, but the proposal I'm, I'm referring to was put forth by council member Lisa Herbold to basically stop prosecuting certain misdemeanors, the poverty defense. Mm -hmm. Now it didn't pass, but did it send a message um, to folks in different parts of the country or this part of the country to say, you know, Seattle, they'll, they'll try other things before they'll actually prosecute? Well, I think that when that proposal was made, it was a while ago, and that was uh, maybe a, a focal point of an idea then. Um, I think that with my being here, I think that's the, the difference is what Seattle is saying that they do want to have, which again is the laws are a reflection of our values as a society and they need to mean something to all of us. They are just the basic rules by which we've agreed to all live in close proximity. And in an urban setting, we're in a closer proximity. And so it's, it's difficult to then have them mean something to some people and not mean something to other people. There's certainly a balance in a, in a compassionate way to do so.
but the they are there because we we need to have a, an understanding of how we engage with one another. Okay, speaking of um, not prosecuting, there is an initiative in the works that could de decriminalize some drug offenses statewide. How would that affect the work you do? Uh, Seattle and King County already pretty much don't jail people for drug crimes. Well, I I think what is most concerning for me is on a just a personal level again is uh, knowing people firsthand who who are still uh, battling addiction for for whatever it might be, uh, and to allow human suffering to continue longer than it really needs to is really just to me uh, deeply saddening. I. I want us to all be reaching out to people uh, and being people's social network and social fabric uh, and, and making long-term relationships with people who have entered into recovery so we can be those healthy relationships for them. Because uh, usually someone's family uh, has been through the ringer if someone uh, is in the throes of substance use disorder. And so the rest of us who are outside that unit need to be there uh, and care, help carry the weight. And so to me, um, when I saw that, that was the, really the first thing I thought of. Um, I see. Yeah. So, um, you know, four months isn't really enough time to really know the answer to this, perhaps, but you have some knowledge and you thought about it when you were running and all of that. So how will we know what success for your office looks like? That is, how will you and the rest of the citizens know that we have made the changes that we needed to make? What, what what would that look like? I, I love this question, Joni, because it really is important. Um, I'm a, have to have aspirations. We, we do. We have to. <laughs> I, I'm a, a long distance runner and a crossfitter and 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 uh, having those just those goals, whether it's, you know, you got to do this workout in this amount of time or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, it, it's you sounds like you run faster than me and further. <laughs> <laughs> Not these days. That's why I went to CrossFit because I couldn't run the, the hours that was necessary. But it's um, it's important to have those goals. And so what we've had here in is there's never been a, a, a standardized methodology for collecting and, and, and analyzing data in the city attorney's office that I uh, have entered. And so we are building that and it's important for me to have that so that we really can tell in, internally, is this working? How do we need to make changes because something is not? Uh, and how, and then open that up for the public to understand what is happening as well. Because only by that, only by us having, again, that open dialogue with what is working and what is not working and being honest about what is working and not working, will we really see progress for all of us? Um, and frankly, that's that's the kind of person I wanted to see in office at every level of government. Um, no, but give me an example. Something changed, and we can all tell that it changed. And then we can even, I don't know, connect it somehow to um, something you did. Well, we I will say back to the, the coordination with uh, Dan Satterberg's office uh, that was non-existent before and that I have That makes heard no sense to me. No me, it, me either. Um, to me, that was uh, that's dif was difficult to come. Different philosoph you know, philosophical differences. Is that was that it? Uh, you, you know, know? I, I could sit here and wonder, but I I don't know, and frankly, it doesn't matter to me 
it, it was in the past. I'm focused on going forward and making sure that those partnerships are there because it is the only way we will start to see that improvement that you're just asking about in public safety. If I have any uh, personal grudge or feel territorial or possessive about things because of the, the office I currently hold, that helps no one. Uh, and, and I really just want to be here to, to make sure things are functioning in the way that we intended them to do. So that the rest of everyone who needs to tend to their lives, right, and that these big social issues that we're all talking about, we can lower the fear and have those important conversations. That's, that's what I want. So whatever I can do to, to help that move along is what I will do. Uh, again, that's why the, the establishing working relationships with those public safety partners is a concrete thing I've already started and will continue to do uh, on, a, on a regular basis. And having that data analysis available to me to make those decisions as to, to what do we need to change because this is not working what we thought it would, or this is working and, and we need to make sure uh, we, we are informing the public about what is a reasonable amount of time for um, Seattleites to wait? Because they, I think they think they elected uh, the three of you, who I mentioned at the beginning here, you, the mayor, uh, Mayor Harrell, and um, uh, City Councilwoman Sarah Nelson. So they thought that was going to get them some results on this issue. Yeah, seems like. I mean, I don't think that's too radical to say that. So what's a reasonable amount of time for them to wait to see a few results? I'd like to say uh, sooner than later, but again, when I, I know that we got here because of the, the amount of time that things were just left to languish uh, and being neglected and, and not function. So we do have to rebuild uh, things from scratch because they just were not here. Uh, I don't say that for any type of an excuse, but more of a, of a reality check of that. Some of it's not difficult, but it has to be done and it has to be reconnected and it has to be functioning. And again, my role cannot start until we have those referrals from the Seattle police. So the understanding the limitations by which each of us can do is important. Uh, and so they all have to be functioning together. We'll be back with more after this message. Dreaming of a long-awaited vacation? Take your travels to the next level with Alaska Airlines. They're committed to providing a higher standard of safety and cleanliness throughout your journey. From mask requirements and touch-free options to HEPA filters on board and fresh air every two to three minutes. Plus, their award-winning loyalty program, Mileage Plan, makes it easy to earn and redeem miles wherever you go including destinations worldwide, thanks to their One World Alliance membership. If you're ready to land a low fare, next-level care, and the best experience in the air, book now at alaskaair.com. Okay, so before we run out of time, I want to make sure we get to some of our audience questions. Uh, and we'll start with one from Camille, who says, we see so much mental illness on our streets and so many of the people who are offenders and repeat offenders are really mentally ill. What is your plan to tackle this very important mental illness piece? Camille, I agree with you that this is a very significant issue uh, and one that cannot be ignored or just simply talked about. When I talk about the intervention that is necessary, uh, sometimes it is in regards to mental illness, uh, maybe it's undiagnosed, maybe it is dual diagnosis, um, 
and I uh, am very honest, I have a deceased uncle who was schizophrenic. I have one of my best friends who has a brother with bipolar um, who they don't live here, but uh, he's attacked his, mother, his own mother, right? So this is really difficult because we are allowing, again, sorry, sometimes I get really emotional about it because we have got to stop ignoring uh, people who are pushed to the literal margins of our society. And we have to have this coordinated, organized uh, effort from people like me at all levels to say we have got to get this right for individuals who have been left to just deteriorate out uh, wherever they are unaddressed. Uh, so when I have the ability to interact with them at the misdemeanor level, we've got to make sure there's a plan for after we have that interaction. Uh, and I think that's is that is that a plan that you can make happen? Like how I can you extend myself that? every everywhere I can, right? That's the that's the piece is I can extend myself I uh, and say I I like She's saying what is your plan to tackle this very important mental illness piece? Right. Well, my, again, my, my plan is to extend myself to those who can make those decisions because I cannot make all of those decisions on my own. But what I can do is make sure that it isn't just uh, there's nothing after I have been, I've become in contact with them, that my office is in contact with those individuals, that there's just not nothing, uh, which is what has been before. We need to make sure that there is coordination, whether it is with community partners, uh, with service, or whether there is a coordination with needing to get diagnosis uh, and, and psychiatric care, we have to be making those uh, connections and those dialogues together at multiple levels. Um, and I stand ready to, to partner and talk with anyone uh, about that. Okay, from Josh, uh, does the city attorney's office have enough resources and staff to maintain that close in time policy? Or are we just gonna end up again with a, with a backlog? Josh, thank you for your question, too, because it really is important uh, to understand that uh, it is not typical that nearly 5,000 criminal case backlog that I inherited. That is not what is typical in a prosecutor's office. Uh, and that backlog had grown years before. And is that because was, of COVID? Uh, no, it was there before. And then it was, uh, it was a lot of effort was put back and to get out from underneath it but there was no internal processes changes. And then it started to quickly grow back and then COVID happened and exacerbated it. And so it was just simply a, a mismanagement from the top because there was not a change in internal processes for things like I'm talking about, that things were put to the back of that queue uh, instead of understanding that you have got to keep close in time filing. So we, we are, since I started in January, I've hired nine prosecutors. Uh, so I have put a concerted effort to make sure the criminal division is ready to Is nine a, a net plus or does it bring you back to um, a full capacity? Uh, try to put that nine in. in that was uh, vacancies. Yeah, those were nine vacancies. vacancies. So you normally would be. They were, they were just bringing you back to the level. That's right. I focused on making sure we hired. Uh, I was an intimate part of that process so that we could uh, streamline that process and not be bogged down uh, by uh, elonging that we needed to have everyone available and, and be a staffed criminal division. We, we have um, maybe a few support staff that we are needing to fill out, but the, the prosecutorial resources are there to, to do that. Uh, we will always need more uh, victim advocates, for example. Uh, we have a lot in domestic violence, but but we only have one uh, for all of the non-domestic violence victims, which is a large amount of victims. Um, and so we, we do 
uh, have the ability to stay close in time, uh, but we we know that we can't control the amount of crime that there is. So we have to be responsive to it. So that's the difficult part to understand is that we, I can say that now, but uh, we have to get uh, the, that responded to um, and get the, the crime going the other direction. So uh, from Dean, should cash bail be eliminated? Dean, this is also a complicated question because it does, uh, involve equitable issues. And I do acknowledge that because that it should not be that someone who simply has the ability to pay uh, should should be released and someone who does not have the ability to pay should not. It's a complicated question and, and one that I'm having dialogue with to understand more. And that is you know, the most honest answer I can give you today is because it's it involves varying things. Um, and, and I'm starting to, uh, to have meaningful conversations with my criminal chief, Natalie Walton Anderson who had been at the county prosecutor's office for over 20 years in the, the U.S. Attorney's Office uh, most recently before I hired her to be uh, the first female uh, criminal division chief here at the city attorney's office. So we are having those conversations and I look forward to being able to address that later. Okay, so uh, Kelly asks, so what are your metrics? More convictions or less crime? Those are not always connected. Hmm. Well, really Kelly, yeah, it's, um, I think that if our close in time filing is starts to show that the, the action has a connection to a close response and that message then becomes a deterrent effect, then we will see that reduction in, in criminal activity. Uh, at the same time, you know, we, I, we have to all be honest that, you know, we are all, all humans and we, we can't control other humans' actions. Uh, and I just want to see that we have lowered the sense of fear so that we can have meaningful conversations about other difficult social issues. If we are all in that sense of fear, we don't make best choices for and uh, be in being generous to our neighbors. And so it's important that we are able to to see it in that way. Uh, so anonymous um, says, you can't. You say you can't control the amount of crime that exists. What do you think are the causes of crime? And what is your plan to support repeat offenders to get them out of this cycle of crime, as you put it? Well, the person that did not want to name themselves, I, I appreciate that too. Um, it's, I think again, when we show that there is a response to the activity and that our laws are meaningful, that is how we start to show that the criminal activity has to be, uh, cannot be allowed. Uh, and so that is the way that we can deter it uh, and, and have an effect on that. Uh, what I said what earlier is that we can't control this, we can't control an individual, but we can say as a society, as a message is that that type of activity is not what we want because we have laws that we've agreed to have for us to live together. Uh, what is the connection, if any, between our possible leniency on drugs or crimes of poverty and the organized crime wave we are seeing in Seattle today? Is, is this your is, question or, or, or reader? I just didn't know. I was, was I was adding a question because oh. um, because there aren't any more questions. Oh, okay. This is the last one anyway, so I'm okay. already on here. I'm sorry, then will you say that again? I just didn't What is uh, the connection, if any, between our leniency on drugs or crimes of poverty and the organized crime wave we're seeing today? Well, I'll tell you a story to answer that question. And I uh, came across a young man named uh, Brandon 
who had a twin sister who lived in an area outside of Seattle. Um, and he uh, was addicted to substance and uh, is, uh, was unhoused when I met him and talked with him. And he explained how he could not go and stay with his sister because she has young children. And so he's uh, living on the streets here in Seattle. And he told me about how he is given a list of things to go and steal. And he brings those back and is then given the substance that he's addicted to. Um, and so. Uh, so there is a connection. To me, that's a clear connection. An example, I mean, anyway, um, right? right? So to hear it from someone and to hear it in his words of how, you know, he does, he's like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to, I don't want to live like this. I don't want to sleep in a place like this. Um, and so again, that's what I say is uh, every time we don't take the opportunity to intervene and say, you can't do that activity. Uh, here's what you can do, which is we need to make sure that you're connected in a way that has healthy relationships for you because your sister and her family can't be that for you anymore, right? Uh, the rest of us need to step up and take part in that. Uh, and we need to be there for you for like 10 years, you know, and agree to be your support network for 10 years so that when you need someone to call because you're having a hard day, there's emotional support from someone like me. When you need someone to call because you don't know how to uh, write the letter for a job application, you can call someone like me. It isn't just that it's we need paid people to do that as it's their work, maybe in social work. I'm saying it's the rest of us willingly choosing to be in relationship. You mean some sort of system that wraps around at the right so. moment or something like that. Is that correct? That's right. And, yeah. and then again, like people who voluntarily want to use their resource of time. We all have time, talent, or treasure. And those who have time, um, I'm just saying, I think that's really uh, important because that is the way we help someone stay in recovery and not re-engage in that cycle of human suffering and addiction. So unfortunately, I think we've run out of time, Ms. Davidson. I want to thank you for joining us today and for sharing your ideas and your thoughts. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Joni. Thank you. Thank you. And that's it for today's episode. Thanks again to Joni and Anne for the talk. And thanks also to the folks in the audience who asked questions. If you'd like to be one of those audience members for a future CrossCut event, go to crosscut.com events. This episode of CrossCut Talks was produced by Sarah Bernard and engineered by Rusty Bacall and Victoria Ralph. And the event was produced by Jake Newman and Andrea O'Meara. And Chris Novich managed our audience engagement. You can subscribe to CrossCut Talks wherever you listen. And if you like the show, please review us. It helps other people find us. For the latest political, environmental, and culture news from the Pacific Northwest, visit CrossCut.com. And if you would like to support the work that we do at CrossCut, whether it's the live events we host every month or the in-depth reporting we deliver every day, go to crosscut.com membership. In addition to supporting our journalism, members receive complete access to the on-demand programming of KCTS 9, Seattle's PBS station. CrossCut Talks is a product of Cascade Public Media. I'm Mark Baumgarten. We'll be back soon with another conversation.